Friends, two stories about Ukraine today. One is about things we're learning from the NATO conference in Vilnius, Lithuania. And other things we're learning accidentally about the war in Ukraine. And second of all, we'll talk about how in Canada, Russian Canadians, and I don't mean Russian citizens, I mean Canadians, Canadian citizens, born here even, but if they trace their lineage back to Russia, how they're being marginalized almost like the Japanese internment camps here during the Second World War. I'll give you more details later, but first let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get my podcast every night, but in video form. And I'd like to encourage you to do that, not just because I think it's a good show, but also because that's how we survive. Eight bucks a month might not be a lot to you, but it adds up for us, and it's how we stay free and independent. Just go to RebelNewsPlus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, get this, U.S. foreign aid went to the Ukrainian government that asked the FBI to censor social media criticisms of Ukraine in America. And don't doubt it happened here, too. It's July 12th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. How many billions of tax dollars has Trudeau sent to Ukraine so far? It is billions of dollars, but... I'll say this, it's far less than the staggering, astonishing, inexcusable 31 billion tax dollars that Trudeau says he'll give away to rich foreign car makers to build battery factories in Canada. I looked up the market capitalization of Stellantis, one of the companies Trudeau's giving a windfall to, and Volkswagen, another one. Uh, These are gifts, by the way, that Trudeau's giving. Canada could have literally bought, as in purchased, to own half the stock in Stellantis with that much money. Not that they should have, but I I literally have never seen anyone negotiate worse deals in history. Look at this. Also from just this week, this is from CNBC. Novavax stock spikes 29% after company snags $350 million from Canada for unused COVID shots. Do you know what it means when a company stock shoots up on news like that? It means that the the stock market is in investors, analysts, people who study things and make bets in the stock market. None of them imagined that Trudeau would have just handed over more than a third of a billion dollars for vaccines that Canada didn't use. If they had expected that windfall, it would have already been priced into the stock. No one has ever encountered anyone stupider than Trudeau. They were shocked by it. That's what that stock market reaction shows. And he shovels money around, especially overseas. Did you see this story? Liberal government announces $100 million in aid to shore up police forces in Haiti. Haiti. That's a foreign country. Uh, I I don't know if if you've seen it, but there has been a murderous crime wave across Canada, particularly bad in Toronto. Stabbings, shootings random killings, but Trudeau just sent $100 million to Haiti for for policing there instead. What an idiot. But the Americans aren't much smarter. Look at this story. This is from Associated Press. 
Pentagon accounting error provides extra $6.2 billion for Ukraine military aid. Oh, okay, got it. So a $6.2 billion mistake. It's quite a mistake. But without any question, without any hesitation, that $6.2 billion error goes to Ukraine, not not back to taxpayers in America. I mean, obviously it goes to Ukraine. I mean, it's just obvious it should, right? It's, it's like that monopoly card, bank error in your favor. That's Trudeau-level stupidity. But by the way, where's all that money from Canada and the U.S. and the U.K. and other countries? Where's it going? I mean, it's got to be close to $100 billion by now, which, by the way, is more than Russia's entire military budget for an entire year. So where's all that Western money, including our money, going? Now, I don't trust any side in this war unless they are admitting something embarrassing. Otherwise, I just discounted all as propaganda. So this was odd, this little clip here. A, a Russian prankster managed to convince Henry Kissinger to do a call and to make Kissinger, who's 100 years old, by the way, which is incredible, uh, make Kissinger think he was talking to Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. So in this call, where Kissinger really thinks he's talking to Zelensky, the pranksters um, asked Kissinger who he thought bombed the Russian national natural gas pipeline called Nord Stream. I don't know if you remember that. It was a huge bombing, and it did a lot of damage to Russia's economy. And Kissinger, Kissinger answered the pranksters and said, I thought you did it. Here, take a look. Nord Stream 2. How do you think? Who is behind? Who is behind of explosion of Nord Stream two? Who is guilty? How do you think? I, I frankly thought you were. Really? You think that we? No, no. But I didn't blame you. I, I would not say that as a criticism. It's so real. I show you that clip because it's a reminder that for months, the U.S. and Ukraine denied that they blew it up and claimed that Russia blew it up themselves. You have to be careful about propaganda, don't you? So here's Joe Biden admitting something astonishing. And again, I'm only believing him because he's making an admission against his own interests, which is that after 18 months of this war... And $100 billion, Ukraine is running out of ammunition, and so is the United States. That's the crazy part. The United States is running low on munitions. Listen to him. He says the U.S. is low. Take a listen. We're in a situation where Ukraine continues to be brutally attacked across the board by munitions, by these cluster munitions that are have dud rates that are very, very low, I mean, very high, that are dangerous to civilians. Number one. Number two, uh, the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition. Uh, the ammunition that they, they call them 155 millimeter weapons. This is a this is a war relating to munitions, and uh, the running out of those that ammunition, and we're low on it. And so, what I finally did took the recommendation of the Defense Department to not permanently, but to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 
weapons, these shells for Ukrainians to provide them with a something that has a very low dud rate. It's about one, I think it's one five zero. Yikes, a year and a half in, and America itself is running out of weapons and, and, and everything else. The U.S. defense budget is more than $800 billion, and that's real money, not our Canadian mini-bucks. It is nuts that Ukraine is running out of ammo, but the U.S., China has got to be. Uh, laughing's the wrong word. I, uh, can you believe it? Hey, quick point. I don't know if you saw this last week, but all the regime media were saying that at the big NATO meeting today in Vilnius, Lithuania, that Trudeau was going to play a key role. That's the word they kept saying, a key role. Well, here's Trudeau playing a key role this morning. The extraordinary panelists that we have assembled, if I can briefly introduce uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, will be coming here momentarily. He's going to slot. Yes, thank you, Prime Minister. That's the empty chair. <laughs> we have, of course, Latvian Prime Minister Christianis Kaurins. Yeah, he, he finally got out of bed and finally showed up. And uh, take a look at this. To all these plans to this four structural requirements, to the command and control adaptation, are going to do what is necessary in terms of getting more people at a higher readiness, more soldiers at a higher readiness, getting the capabilities, buying the systems that we, that we, that we need. So it is more investments. It is investments in infrastructure. It is investments in enablement of... Good morning. <clears throat> It is investments in enablement to make sure that we don't, do not only have the fighting forces, but also that we are able to have the logistics in place, that we are able to, to support the fight as we now see in Ukraine is so difficult. So three regional defense plans, um, high north in the Atlantic, the central plan, which covers the Baltics to the Alps, I think is how you've described yep. it, and then Southeast Europe, yep. those three regional defense plans. Prime Minister Trudeau, welcome. Good Thank morning. You. Apologies for No, no, no. I call this perfect timing because I'm going to throw the first question uh, to you. So uh, no rest for the weary. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're so proud of Trudeau playing a key role. So where's all the money going? Well, NATO says... One of the things they're thinking about with Ukraine is they're, well, they're worried about corruption and they think that could be a barrier for Ukraine to join NATO. Here's the head of NATO itself saying that corruption is a real issue. It's wrong to say that nothing has happened. Uh, for, On the membership. For, uh, yeah, they're not become members, but first of all, we have strengthened our partnership. We're working much more closely with them. But you won't defend them, obviously. Ukraine is not part of NATO. I know, no, I understand uh, so, 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 so meaning, meaning Ukraine is not covered by our collective defense clause, our collective uh, Article 5. To be a NATO member, you need to meet the NATO standards. We help them with, with modernizing... Uh, fighting corruption. Well, I've got some news for you about where that money's going. And Trudeau, at the one speech he actually did show up for on time, alluded to it. Trudeau was talking about global warming, of course. He jetted over there on a private jet with a huge entourage, so you know he cares about his carbon footprint. But his second issue was what he calls disinformation, by which, of course, he just means anyone who disagrees with him. What a weird thing to talk about, right? 
well, weird to you and me, but absolutely key, as the regime media would say, because look at this, as released by the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. Here's a press release the other day. Let me read it to you. Documents reveal FBI colluded with compromised Ukrainian intelligence agency to censor Americans. Now, I'm going to read the press release in full because it's not too long. Today, the House Judiciary Committee and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government released a report titled The FBI's Collaboration with a Compromised Ukrainian Intelligence Agency to Censor American Speech. Based on a subset of subpoena documents, the report details how the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, colluded with the Security Service of Ukraine, SBU, an agency widely known to be infiltrated by Russian-aligned forces by routinely sending social media platforms spreadsheets and other documents containing thousands of accounts to take down. In so doing, the FBI and SBU flagged authentic American accounts for removal, including a verified U.S. State Department account and those belonging to American journalists. The report also exposes how the FBI offered Facebook and Instagram legal cover to remove the SBU's flagged accounts. The new information highlights the FBI's unconstitutional role in enabling the SBU's censorship regime and raises grave concerns about the FBI's credibility, reliability, and competence as the nation's premier law enforcement organization. The coordination between the FBI, SBU, and American social media companies is substantial, and the full extent of the FBI's involvement with the SBU remains the subject of ongoing investigation. Now, that's on the U.S. side. And they only learned about it partly by accident and partly because their Congress, unlike our parliament, has the ability to truly investigate their government in ways that we don't. And they have internal checks and balances that we don't have. They have only a two-party system, and it has its flaws. But it's built for accountability, don't you think? So the U.S. was shoveling money to Ukraine whose security services were telling the FBI which social media accounts to censor of American citizens, including journalists. And, of course, the FBI did it. And, of course, the tech companies went along with it. Do you doubt for a second that's happening in Canada, too? Trudeau, who loves censorship on his own, he, he certainly doesn't need to be told by a foreign government to censor us. He, he'll do it on his own, yeah. The only question I have left is which is a worse use of our tax dollars? This <laughs> or Trudeau's gift to Stellantis and Volkswagen? Stay with us for, for more. Welcome back. You know, I used to live in Edmonton, and it's a wonderful city. It's such a warm city. And because it's so temperature-wise cold during the winter, boy, they make up for it in the spring and summer. It is a city of festivals. I used to live right downtown near Sir Winston Churchill Square, and every weekend there was something else going on, often food-oriented. So you know I loved it. They had it, it was just great. And they have something every year called the Edmonton Heritage Festival, which is sort of a multicultural thing where everybody comes and wears their old country's garb and serves, it's just a real coming together thing. 
But, you know, that can be tricky when countries abroad are waging wars because we don't want to bring ancient hatreds or even modern hatreds going on in other parts of the world. We don't want to bring that here. We want to put our Canadianness first, don't we? And so I was absolutely staggered to read this statement by the um, German ambassador. Uh, we think there shouldn't be any Jewish culture promotion here because this is the culture that brought up the generation of people who turned out to be invaders, looters, killers, and rapists. That's unfortunately what we as Germans feel, and the whole world sees that suffering. That's a pretty shocking thing to say about the Jews. Now, of course, you may have figured out what I'm doing. It wasn't the German ambassador talking about the Jews. It was the Ukrainian ambassador talking about Russians. Let me read it properly so you're not confused. We think there shouldn't be any Russian culture promotion here because this is the culture that brought up the generation of people who turned out to be invaders, looters, killers, rapers, Yulia Kovalev said. That's unfortunately what we as Ukrainians feel, and the whole world sees that suffering. Oh, my God, what do you think of that? Well, a man who wrote a column about it is our friend Lauren Gunter. The column is called... Russian Canadians should not be denied the chance to celebrate their culture. It was published in Post Media, and he joins us today. Lauren, am I, am I going over the top by transposing different ethnicities in there? I have to say, I was shocked by what that ambassador said. No, and you know, the, the point that I was trying to make is, so we have this terrific cultural festival, the Heritage Fest, every, every August long weekend. Uh, our family calls it Things on a Stick Day yeah. because there are about 80 different cultures that are represented and about 90% of them have some sort of kebab-like uh, <laughs> food that they serve. So we, we have jokingly called it Things on a Stick Day for a long time. Uh, and last year, there was uh, the, the Russian cultural group in Edmonton didn't participate in in the festival, but this year they wanted to. And the festival said, um, no, we've received too many uh, complaints, uh, too many threats, uh, and, and we're not going to allow that. And, and a lot of those threats seem to have come from uh, Ukrainian organizations, including the official representative of the Ukrainian government to Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, and, and that staggers me because we're not talking about official country pavilions. This is not an international expo. This isn't Expo 67. It's not mm. the expo in BC in 86. This is just a bunch of cultural organizations in Edmonton that for 50 years now mm -hmm. have gotten together in the summer for a weekend to celebrate their ethnicity, yeah. their background. And so what you're talking about here is banning one group of Canadian citizens from celebrating their cultural heritage because another group of Canadian citizens uh, has objected to it. And I, I think in many ways, this is the uh, end point of our obsession with identity politics and our obsession with cancel culture. Uh, and so you have statements like that from the Ukrainian ambassador, which don't apply at all. They, yeah. These are not people. I, I'm guessing if you ask most of the, the people from the Edmonton Russian cultural organization, they are not, not in favor of Putin. They're not in favor of the, the, the invasion of Ukraine. They just happen to be Russian, uh, of Russian extraction. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's weird for the ambassador of Ukraine 
to weigh in at all. Because these are not foreign nationals. These are not instruments of the Russian government. I mean, you can hate Vladimir Putin. You can hate the Russian government. You can be, you know, for sanctions against key parts of Russia's military industrial complex. Canada has done all those things. But like you say, these are Canadian citizens. I mean, there were a lot of Russians who came to Alberta at the same time Ukrainians came. And by the way, the borders yeah. have shifted around. Some, you know, there were towns and cities that were Polish or Russian or Ukrainian, depending yeah. on the decade. And Austrian, sometimes, sometimes Austrian. You know, yeah. that, that's how much they've switched around. And and there are some people who are new arrivals, but those ethnicities have been in Alberta since, I mean, there was an explicit immigration campaign to bring farmers from Eastern Europe to break the soil and build sod huts and develop the prairies. They are as Canadian as anyone. And yeah. I really feel like this is pitting ethnicities against each other. And I'm so disappointed in the government and, and I say the government because it's up to the police and the city to provide police protection. I think this is actually shocking. I do, too. And, and you know, if, if you could find some sometimes with these uh, ethnic groups, these cultural groups, they do get uh, tourism support from the, the old country. For instance, you know, like let's travel to Uganda yeah. uh, and, and they get a little bit of money for the Uganda pavilion from uh, U Uganda tourism. And so uh, if, if there were official Russian participation, official participation from the Russian government in the Russian pavilion, I would say, well, you know, let's, let's ask the organizers mm -hmm. to expunge that because we don't want to have anything at all to do with the Putin regime. Uh, so that would be, I think that would be fair, but, but to say, oh, well, we're, we're, we have concerns about safety so we're not going to we're not going to protect the Russians. You're saying we're not going to protect a group of Canadians yeah. from doing something that is perfectly legal and is within their charter rights. Mm -hmm. So it's not like saying we're not protecting the Putin representatives who yeah. will be here at the Heritage Festival. We're saying we're not going to protect other Canadians yeah. who happen to be of Russian extraction from exercising their cultural, linguistic and uh, charter rights uh, by participating in the festival. And I think that's just giving in to the bullies. Yeah. I mean, I despise the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping. I actually think uh, it, when you add up the atrocities in this world, they, they are the worst. Uh, yes. they, I, I actually think they are committing a form of genocide against the Uyghur Muslims, against Tibetans. I think they're doing terrible things in in Hong Kong against democracy activists, and yet I would never in a million Taiwan. Yeah, and you know? never in a million years would any Canadian ever think ban ethnic Chinese people, especially. And by the way, in Alberta, the Chinese community's been there for more than a century. They helped build the railway in the you know 150 years ago almost. So no one would ever think that way. I it's or Japanese internment in, in the Second World right, War. Right, I think that's a very good parallel actually. That that you know. Know, here you had people who were Canadian citizens of Japanese extraction, but because we were at war with Japan, we thought they were potentially allies of a foreign state, and so therefore, even though they had they, they had shown no uh, inclination to helping out the Japanese, we herded them away from their private property, out of their businesses, out of their farms, and into the interior of BC, uh, so that they couldn't signal 
Japanese ships off the coast and help them fight us in the war. And this would be different too, I think, if Canada had troops on the ground in Ukraine fighting against Russia and Russia was our enemy. And you, you, you know, I, I can see where you'd have a slightly different stand on things at that point, but there is, there's nothing to indicate that the uh, Russian Canadian organization that was in charge of the Russian pavilion at Edmonton's heritage festival uh, was in any way connected directly to the Russian government. Yeah. And even this is a little bit of a, a, a stretch. It's a little harder situation or a little harder uh, uh, position to, to accept. But even if you had people of Russian extraction who were not entirely against Putin or, or believe some of Putin's rhetoric about how Ukraine is really just a, a, an extension of Russia. It shouldn't be free. It shouldn't be independent. It should be part of greater Russia. You know, I don't agree with any of that. I have been very much in favor of Ukraine's defense against the Russian invasion. I have been in favor of the NATO allies giving whatever material aid they can to Ukraine. I think we could do even more. I was in favor of NATO putting tanks in Ukraine before the Russians invaded as a way to deter the Russians from from starting this whole war. Uh, and, and, you know, our family has donated to Ukrainian refugee appeals. So I, I'm not in any way excusing what the Russian government is doing. But even if someone were to say, well, I, you know, I see the point of some of these things that the Russians have said about why they invaded Ukraine, that's still a Canadian right. You're yeah. still able to say those things. What you can't do is give direct aid and comfort to the Russian government or be involved as being their proxy. This is not at all like the Liberal Party of Canada taking aid from agents of the Chinese communist yeah. government and their proxies in Canada. is isn't anywhere near to yeah. doing that. That's this true. is simply a group of Russians who live in Edmonton, who want to have a pavilion and are not being allowed to. You know, it, it's incredible. I, I watched a video the other day by John Mearsheimer, who's a professor out of Chicago, and and he has pro-Ukraine credentials, too. He warned Ukraine after the fall of, uh, of the Berlin Wall. He said, do not give up your nukes. And, of course, Ukraine, I don't know if you recall, gave up the nukes in return for promises of security from the West. Those promises meant nothing. If Ukraine had kept its nukes, which were sort of a portion there because they were spread out through all the Soviet <laughs> empire, there's no way anyone would ever invade Ukraine for all time if they had nukes. So Mearsheimer... Who, who, who is pro-Ukraine in that way, still points out, look at the polarization. He predicts a terrible end for this war. And I'm getting off track a bit, but, but you'll see my point in a second. He's, he believes there's going to be a kind of ethnic cleansing that happens, not necessarily through brute force, but actually just because there's such a polarization, he believes, and I'm just putting his prediction out there, he believes that ethnic Russians will want to leave Ukraine for Russia because they're so hated, and ethnic Ukrainians in Crimea, in the Donbass, in places that Russia has annexed, will move to Ukraine proper just because there's such a ethnic hatred and polarization now. He's saying it's going to be incredibly difficult to have any diplomatic solution because there's so much distrust and hate. But I think we see a little bit of that in Canada. I think anyone who's Russian is being forced to publicly self-renounce, even if they have nothing to do with the government yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, well, a Russian... Go ahead. 
No, but look, but just look at the words of the Ukrainian ambassador. Yeah. They are they are so over the this this is the generation of Russians who have you know the, the celebration of Russian culture is left to this generation that is now bombing us and killing us. And yes, yes, that may well be true, but none of the Russian Canadians in Edmonton are doing yeah. that. So that that's the that's my whole point. I mean, most of these people are going to be wanting to celebrate pre-communist Russian yeah. culture. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're celebrating a Russian culture that that uh, goes back over 100 years. I mean, they're not czarists. They're not communists. They're not Putinists. Uh, they're just a group of Canadians with Russian background yeah. who want to have their dances shown. And I, I don't think there's any things on a stick in, in <laughs> Russian culture, in Russian cuisine. But if there was things on a stick, they'd be selling. You know, it makes me sad, this whole thing. And, and I mean, my family's been in Canada for 120 years, but originally we did come from a city called Dnipro, if I'm saying it right, which used to be called Dnipropetrovsk, which was the Russian way of saying it. That town was in different countries in different decades. And and I guess I never thought too deeply about am I Russian, am I Ukrainian, because I thought I'm Canadian. And right. I sort of thought that if you're from Eastern Europe, if you're from Poland, Ukraine, Russia, a lot of those places, and if you, especially being in Canada for some time now, I would have said until this war, what, what defines those people is they know what communism is really like. They're unlike the, you know, the, the woke students in underground who talk about, oh, we just need communism applied properly. It was just never done properly. And all these people from Ukraine or Russia or Belarus or Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, etc. could say, no, no, brother. We know. Like I always sort of, I, I shouldn't lump people together, but I lump them together in a favorable way. I thought these folks know. They know the horror. Horrendous. They know the Holodomor. That's the engineered famine uh, that the killed millions of Ukrainians. Stalin did that, the forced collectivization of farms. That's a horrendous, that's a, that's a kind of a Holocaust, a kind, yeah. like it was yeah. a, it was a kind of a genocide in a way. I think it was more economic and political, but, but these folks in Alberta especially know about tyranny, and I hate the fact that they're being pitted against each other. Last word to you, Lorne. Yeah, I, I, I would hope that the Heritage Festival uh, reconsiders, allows the Russians to have a pavilion, and that uh, Edmonton uh, city police say, look, we're prepared to uh, defend these people's rights to, to be as ordinary as everyone else of any ethnic background whose countries are being ethnic backgrounds and countries are being represented at Heritage Festival. That's that would be the Canadian way. Yeah. And by the way, if any other citizen had said what Ambassador Kovalev had said about the Jews or some other minority, wouldn't surprise me if they got a phone call from the police to talk to them about deliberately spreading hatred under the criminal code. It wouldn't surprise me at all. This kind of language, you weaponize that against other groups, the human rights industry would go nuts. Lauren Gunter, great to catch up with you. Likewise. Thank you very much. I repeat again, Lauren's column on the subject is called Russian Canadians Should Not Be Denied a Chance to Celebrate Their Culture, and you can find it in Post Media. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, 
welcome back. Uh, and thanks to my friend David Menzies for doing the show yesterday. I was traveling and I went to Ottawa for the um, Ottawa premiere of our new documentary, Church Under Fire. And uh, I've also been at our shows in Calgary, a couple of them there. And it's been very exciting with Toronto, obviously, in Ottawa. And Sheila Gunn-Reed and Keen Simone tonight are in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, if you go to our website, uh, Church Under Fire is the name of the movie, SaveTheChristians.com is the website you can see where the other movie theater showings of the film is. And it's gotten great reception by everyone who's seen it. And thanks to all the supporters. Um, and thanks to David for spotting me off. Uh, I'm going to be here for the rest of the week. And uh, I'm going to do some long-form interviews next week. But I'm also partly in keeping with the theme of today's show, which was what's going on in that Ukraine war. I'm going to be going to Eastern Europe next week. And one of my goals is to talk to a NATO leader who um, believes in peace. Is it possible to be in the NATO alliance dedicated to, rep to defending the West against Russia, but also to be suing for peace, as they say, in Ukraine? Well, I'll hope to have the answer for you next week. I'll, I'll let you know what I'm talking about. But it is something I care about, not because I have ethnic ties to the region, which I did 120 years ago, but I don't think of myself as Ukrainian or Russian or Eastern European. I, I think of myself as Canadian. But I, I can't help but feel horrible about how that country is being ground up. It really feels like it's a, another, it's an echo of the Battle of Stalingrad. If you look at the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, every single building is destroyed or damaged. And I, I really feel like the, the caricature of Western armchair generals using Ukrainian soldiers as cannon fodder, I really feel like it's coming true. And, I, and the glibness and the glee of it, I find very unsettling. And as you know, I'm against Vladimir Putin. I wrote a book condemning the West for buying natural gas from it. The book was called Groundswell, The Case for Fracking. I toured Germany in 2014, shortly after the first Russian invasion of Ukraine, saying, stop buying your gas from Russia. You are arming him against you. Obviously, my book didn't turn the course of history. But I tell you that simply to tell you I'm not for Putin or the invasion of Ukraine, but neither am I for a senseless permanent war that will kill hundreds of thousands if left to continue. I'm curious about your thoughts. You can send them to me at Ezra at rebelnews.com. I'll be back here tomorrow, obviously. I'll be here all week and we'll have some shows for you next week. And then I'll hopefully have some reports to you from Eastern Europe. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.